0: No, I didn't even realize that's what they were until I was looking at it earlier there and I was like, oh, okay, is that what they are? Okay, welcome everyone. This is episode 28 of Tokyo Jazz joints 28, blimey, who would have thought it? James, how are you today?
1: Feeling pretty good, man. Uh, how you doing over there in Dublin?
0: Well, um, I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat, thanks for asking. Um, I think it's nothing more serious than just a little bit of a sore throat, which is good, but... Uh yeah, don't be getting me too excited on this week's episode. Oh, uh, I'm don't. trying to save my voice.
1: I'm already getting excited about this week's episode because we're covering some great spots. Um, where are we going today? We are not in the consulate again. We are back in Tokyo, right?
0: We're back in Tokyo, which I don't know about you, but it's a bit like when we when we do a Tokyo episode, I feel that uh, same kind of sensation that when you arrive back at Narita Airport <laughs> and it says welcome <laughs> uh, in English above the escalator as you go down. And uh, there's something kind of oddly comforting about uh, coming back to Tokyo and and checking out some of the places that we um, uh, have been to there. And I suppose part of that is maybe that a lot of the places that we went to in Tokyo, I guess, tended to be quite a piecemeal fashion. You know, some of the places that we've talked about in further flung regions tended to be more of a trip, it needed a bit more organization. Maybe we stayed overnight and so on. But I suppose Tokyo, we kind of picked them off a list, didn't we, one by one or a couple of nights over a period of three or four years so um yeah and generally
1: the the pattern would be you know um the day before two days before sometimes even the same day when plans might have changed it's like hey are you in town today you got any time oh i'll be near this station okay great check the list (laughs) let's go stop by that joint we were talking about the other day i mean sometimes it was it was just as piecemeal as that and you were like okay i'll grab my camera see you there in two hours um,
0: Depending on the weather, of course. <laughs> um, so, the place where we're, uh, we're going to start with uh, a place today, which um, is also doubles up as the nickname I sometimes use for you in my head. <laughs> Do you want to tell us where we're going today?
1: Oh, yeah. We are going to Big Boy in Jimbocho. And I'm not going to ask whether lot. my nickname is Big Boy or Jimbo. Uh, let's just leave it at that. Um, Big Boy is an awesome little place. Um, do you remember the night that we went there? I think we had to wait outside a little bit. For some reason, the The opening hours were, were strange. Um, but when we went in, um, just a fantastic place. I had used to go there in the afternoons. Quite often when I was working nearby Jimbocho, uh, which is an area of Tokyo, for those of you outside of Japan, it's sort of the old bookseller's neighborhood of old Edo. So you've got hundreds and hundreds of small to medium-sized bookshops on the main streets and the side streets. Um, So, of course, there's a lot of cafes as well where people will go after shopping to sit and read. Um, But Big Boy is fairly new. It only opened about 15 years ago. Um, uh, Mr. Hayashi and his wife, an absolutely wonderful couple. And when I was going through my notes about Big Boy Philip, I remembered he used to work in advertising uh, before he opened the bar, the cafe bar. And he's the third guy that I've met um, who retired from the advertising world to open a, a jazz kisaten. And I was wondering mm. if, it, if there was some sort of pattern going on there, maybe because of all the jazz they were using in their commercials or something. Who knows? But uh, it was um, Mr. Hiyashi, uh Misho-san at Jazz Pub Misho in Shinjuku. We've talked about that before. And um, another place I don't know if you ever went to called Cafe Ellington. In Asagaya, no. maybe that closed before we started the project. Yeah, well, he was also an ad man. So it kind of struck me as a strange coincidence, but... Um, we, probably
0: sh- we probably should say that just to contextualize things that um, it's not that uh, Hayashi-san was um, way ahead of the game there with his mask. But uh, obviously, if you're not more familiar with Japan... Um, It's quite common to wear masks there for various reasons, usually to protect other people from uh, your own cold or fever, if you have one, uh, and also, of course, from hay fever. So Japan, probably, apart from doctors and and nurses, probably Japan or Japanese people are the one group of people through this whole crisis that didn't really find it much of a big deal to be wearing masks. And I thought it was really interesting that even when I asked him to take his portrait that evening... um, he inadvertently created probably one of the more unique portraits from the project because of course he kept his mask on. And uh, I always thought that was quite a strange decision, but uh,
1: it's, yeah. It's funny because I didn't even notice it. You know, I, I think when you live in Japan for so long, um, as you just mentioned, you know, before COVID it, it's completely normal to see people wearing masks, um, especially yeah. in, in the fall and winter. It, you, you don't even blink at it anymore. So, when I was looking at the pictures getting ready for for tonight's recording, i it didn't even register to me, you know, which is mm. crazy. But I know for a lot of our listeners outside the country, they may think, "Oh, was this taken recently?" you know, But this was a good four or five years ago. Um, Big it's an Boys, interesting place, though mm-hmm. isn't it
0: like because it, it's an interesting place because um it it, it has an oddly clean or clinical feel about it. I think just even from the door and the lighting and the sign, it's very much like I've sort of referenced before, that kind of um, a little bit more like the jazz bar of the imagination. And one of the reasons it sticks out in in my mind particularly is... By far, it was the most expensive cover charge we've paid. I think it was something like 950 yen just to sit down. And I remember it because, obviously, as we've said in previous episodes, generally speaking, you get anything on a spectrum from birdseed to fairly decent peanut mix. But on this particular occasion, it was this beautiful, beautiful um, sort of mint and fresh peas uh, little sort of amuse bush that he had prepared and of course with your policy of not eating in jazz places I managed I think to get both of them and <laughs> you, you albeit, certainly did, it cost because me 18 euros I, but I it was have, very very, very good I have no
1: memory whatsoever of any mint peas and I'm probably glad that I don't trust um, me
0: it's it, seared in my memory so this was definitely a standout for big boy well, uh, your, for me your
1: picture, your picture of the outside uh, door sort of gives an indication of, of why uh, the charge in there is so much because it's a really small room. It's You can see it's a sort of a corner of the building that somehow they've added a door to um it's it's amazing it always uh, strikes me in japan especially in urban japan the use of space architecturally i mean they will make a shop or an office out of the most random oddly shaped spaces and yet it works you know but big boy is really small i mean i don't think i think maybe max 10 seated and it doesn't really allow people to stand and drink so he's probably got to keep the the table charge high in order to cover the costs um and also it does also s-
0: feel it does also feel a little bit like one of those places you know where perhaps the area or maybe this association that you've put in my head with advertising where the kind of people maybe that are are getting off work from companies or whatever are kind of highly paid enough that they're going in there and the last thing they're thinking about is the the cost of the bill. I don't know. It just had a very, um, I I just remember it being quite an expensive evening. I think even just for a couple of drinks.
1: Well, you can see from the records. I mean, obviously he's got a record addiction, um, like all of the guys we talk about, Um, but his sound system as well is absolutely spectacular. And he cranks it up. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm repeating myself with every joint that we talk about, Uh, but not, not everywhere. It does play the music loud, but in big boy, as you can see is very, very small. So if you're sitting there at the counter beneath that speaker, I mean, don't even think of having a conversation, let alone trying to read a book or something. I mean, you're there for the music. And uh, I love that you got a picture of his Blue Note collection. Um, I was trying to remember exactly what he told us about it. I, I do know that that he is a completist. He's got the complete um, Blue Note collection of Blue Note Japan original reissues. So there's some gaps in the discography between what was released in Japan and in the US, but um, you'll often find a lot of the Japanese jazz kisaten or blue note collectors. uh, But he's the only one that I've run into had the complete version in, in, in the shop. You know, and was obviously really proud of it because we talked about it for about 20 minutes. Um, But, yeah, Big Boy is is a really great spot just because it's, you know, it's kind of no nonsense. Um, He's really friendly. He and his wife are very welcoming. Um, It is expensive, but it's definitely a place. I mean, I used to go for coffee and just sit there for two hours with one coffee, you know, and listening to record after record. And uh, yet again, in our long running discussions of jazz joint bathrooms, I mean, what's going on in this picture, Philip?
0: It's like uh, CD art meets Ikebana with a sort of a, (laughs) I don't know, one of those uh, taps they have on top of Japanese toilets just thrown into the mix there. It's uh, interesting, isn't it? It's, It's either deliberate or there's a shelf above the picture that's fallen down and they just never got f- round to fixing it albeit that the CDs have fallen in a beautiful uh, arrangement so i suspect that there's definitely the owner's hand in it it's but, definitely
1: um, deliberate and it's also um because i have a similar photo somewhere on one of my old uh, flip top phones but the CDs are different so i think he actually like oh, so it's rotates a thing. yeah i think he rotates them depending on You know, what sort of vibe (laughs) the the, uh, monthly uh, playlist is in. I should mention, if you are in Japan, um, the other really cool thing about Big Boy is that he plays a lot of contemporary jazz. I'd say he plays more contemporary jazz than most other jazz keys of then, including a lot of stuff from Europe. So, um, yes, he's got the great blue note complete set and a lot of impulse, as you can see from the picture, Um, but you're not going to just hear the same old 50s and 60s sort of albums that you may have heard over and over again in the Jazz 10 You're going to hear a lot of contemporary stuff, too. And that's really cool because I remember he played an album. I think it's um, Wolfgang Muspiel, the the, uh, Austrian guitarist. Who's uh, was on ECM for a while, and he played one of his CDs. And on that system, I mean, it was just like hearing it in a completely new way. So I was really kind of happy about that. I've not been to that part of town for a while, but I, I know that he is still open. Uh, definitely recommend it. You know, walk around Jimbo Cho during the afternoon, hit the bookshops. Um, if you don't read Japanese, there's still a few that have a lot of English books, too. And then you can pop into Big Boy. Definitely recommend it.
0: It seems like he's got some classical there behind him as well, so he's not averse to some classical. I noticed in in the picture of him, actually, there's two or three albums um, behind yeah, him the, on what, CD. What label
1: is that? The yellow... Uh, yeah, I forget what it's called. I know the one, Powerful yeah. And there's also, right down there, the yeah.
0: bottom left there, Uh, there's also Bach as well. So, mm. yeah, I mean, obviously... um. Uh, which again doesn't surprise me I mean it seems like it would suit the kind of vibe of the place too Um, if you were going to play any other kind of music classical seems to be the one Mm -hmm. I should probably also just give a shout out at this point actually I know we normally wait till the end but um, when I was showing some of the photographs in in Rhinoceros in Berlin last year um, I was introduced to a guy called Ludwig um, who strangely enough uh, Big Boy was one of his favourite places which kind of again surprised me because it's not maybe one of the more well known places Uh, and his partner very kindly purchased uh, a print, uh, one of these prints from the Big Boy series for his birthday last year. So, um, if he's been listening to the podcast, uh, shout out to Ludwig and Clarissa in Berlin, um, and hopefully they're still able to get down to Rhinoceros uh, when they can. So, where are we going next, then, James?
1: Okay, from Jimbocho, we are going to go over a little bit west uh, to the neighborhood of Waseda. That's my old hanging ground. Um, I attended Wasita University for about a year and a half in the early 2000s, sadly before this next place was opened. Um, this is uh, Jazz Cafe Nutty, opened in 2009, and uh, not advertising people, but Mr. and Mrs. Aoki, who run the shop, they used to run a flower shop, and uh, when I first went there to profile it for, uh, for my jazz spot directory on tokyojazzsite.com, Um, they told me that they they had run the flower shop for more than 20 years, and they were always playing jazz in there. Sounds like a familiar story. We know we've heard variants on this from other people. Um, But uh, they decided to to take the plunge and um, sell their flower shop and open a jazz cafe. Now, I remember thinking when I talked to them, You know, um, I don't know how profitable a really good flower store could be, but I imagine it would be a lot more profitable than a jazz cafe. So I know that they must have, you know, taken a lot of their savings to invest in Nutty. And if you're looking at the pictures, you can see it's a very small room, extremely, extremely small. You enter in the door, which sort of just leads into a tiny little hallway and then that's it. It's just about those four or five tables and then the counter kitchen with the records behind it. So you can only seat about seven or eight people in there. But as I said, the location is at Wasita uh, by the university. So you've got a lot of jazz fan students who have time to come in every day for coffee um, and people as well who just, you know, wander around through the neighborhood. Um, so they're still open 11 years later, which is just great news. It means they've been able to make it over the first couple hurdles. Um, now, I don't remember Philip when exactly did, did you go there? Because we didn't go there together.
0: No, this was one, one of those places that had been on our list for a long time, I think. And and I suppose as we worked through our original list of places, uh, more local ones we maybe tended to overlook slightly just because, you know, you sort of think, oh, well, you know, that's only around the corner. Or that's only a few stops away. So we'll get to that. So actually, I, I think I went to Nutty um, on my trip back to Japan that I've referenced before when we went down to Kyushu and up to Hokkaido, which we'll be talking about um, in the last um, series of episodes uh, of the podcast. And I think it was the last day before I was to come back to Ireland that I went in, because, and I remember it because it was a really hot, and you can see from the... The exterior picture, one of those really hot uh, Tokyo days where there sort of feels like there's no shade anywhere uh, and the cement's just like uh, <laughs> the concrete is just pumping out that heat and you kind of feel like I need to get in somewhere. And, and I hung around, um, I think before he opened, because I was conscious of how small it was and knew, of course, that if I didn't get in there on my own, I probably wouldn't be able to photograph it. And as I sat there, uh, sure enough, I think, you know, 20 minutes later, someone came in and, and that would have probably stopped me from taking photos more freely. But having said that, like you said, it's not a massive place and um, what you see in the photographs is pretty much what is there. There's a counter with a pretty extensive record collection, those beautiful speakers uh, and then two or three tables scattered around. The anti-smokers who are listening um, will notice that there is an ashtray in that picture there uh, and you can only imagine um, if that's filled with four or five people sitting at table smoking and drinking coffee, uh, what it's like <laughs> as an experience. <laughs> uh, if you're not a fan of smoking, but um, uh, when I when I went there in the morning, it was it was as I said really clear. It's a fairly, I suppose, it's a fairly solid place. I, is the way you describe it. And you can see from the this has got Mingus, got Monk, uh, Eric Dolphy up there. But one thing that did catch my eye was uh, the postcard of Kamasi Washington. Mm, so yeah, um, yeah. not completely stuck in the past by any means, but. Gorgeous little space. And again, like you say, you know, imagine being able to go there uh, rather than some sweaty, smelly student bar uh, <laughs> if you were studying. You know? Yeah,
1: exactly. And you can tell from the picture that you took, uh, the last picture in the series of the exterior. With the bicycles, you see the door on the left next to it. That's actually somebody's, um, I don't know if it's an apartment or not, or like a two-story apartment. But um, So they're sharing the building there. And I remember when I, you know, the three or four times that I'd been uh, to Nutty. Um, again, they play really, really loud in there. Really, really loud. So mm. unless unless Mr. and Mrs. Aoki are actually living next door to it, who's ever in that apartment is getting a whole lot of free jazz uh, listening uh, on their daily routine, which, I mean, uh, if it was me, I'd be thrilled with that. But I take um, it. I'll
0: pay more for it if I
1: did. <laughs> yeah. But being being a student area, you know, it's interesting because um, we talked a lot before the history of jazz and and how – they were such an important gathering spot for students in the 1960s and 70s when Japan was you know, hyper-politicized. Um, sadly, it's not like that anymore. Uh, most university students are rather, um, how can we say uh, inactive with their political participation and the jazz cafes don't really function with that role anymore. But I was very happy the last time I did stop by there, which would have been a good six years ago, probably. Um, I actually had to wait to get in because it was full of students. And uh, that was just, I mean, it's only seven or eight people didn't fit in there, but still, I was really happy to know that at least some teenagers and kids in their early 20s were, you know, digging the music and also digging the jazz Kisa style, you know, which doesn't appeal to everyone these days.
0: Um, You can see as well there, James, if if you are able to scroll in uh, just to the right of Jazz Nutty there, it it says, I think something along the lines of... Uh, listen is it listen to or listen with the musician so it says musician no damasio kikitore um, how would we translate that for listeners that don't speak japanese
1: you would translate that as um, <laughs> kikitore <laughs> yeah kikitore makes that sort of um have a
0: listen would, would that work uh, in a little have stronger
1: a to... it's it's more of a command i mean it's yeah. more it's more like like listen hard or shut up and listen is almost how i would translate that you know it's yep. it's definitely a command to like you know sit down and take take in deeply what you are about to be played
0: shut up and listen to musician's soul could be a strap line for a book when we finally publish one
1: <laughs> no well i mean it's or interesting though because remember a lot of the a lot of the and we've talked about that before that they often have like maybe little coasters um, in the old days, it was matchbooks. These days, it could be the Meishi or um, even their, you know, on their website. They'll have little slogans, sometimes in Japanese, sometimes in English, sometimes in strange Japanese English. Um, and that that's not unusual. And But to see it so sort of like directly in your face on the sign outside the shop that one i've not seen before but yeah you would translate that as basically shut up and listen to the musicians uh who are bearing their soul for you that's how i would translate that
0: yeah if anyone wants to correct us any japanophiles or uh japanese listeners want to correct us there uh please feel free uh we love feedback uh whatever it is so um do do get in touch with us so that was nutty. Um, we're staying in Tokyo, obviously, uh, but we're moving to um, a slightly um, more down at home part of Tokyo, I suppose, the best way to describe it. Anyone who listened to the episode where we talked about Tokidoki, I suppose it's a similar kind of neighbourhood, James. Wouldn't you say it's a similar kind of fairly residential, uh, not so not so posh, not as fancy? Is that a fair description of, of where we're going next?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call Kitasenju I mean the streets surrounding the station, sure it heads out to its big residential neighborhoods, but it's actually very commercial uh, when you come out of the station but it's it's pretty far northeast uh yeah. it's still in tokyo proper but it's way up in the northeast um not an area that you know i had spent much time in at all and uh i remember when we we'd heard about birdland it was interesting because you know your first thought when you hear birdland is oh it's a club you know named after birdland in new york And uh, when we got there, immediately I was like, oh, well, that must be a mistake. It's, you know, it's clearly a a cafe bar. But but Mm -hmm. actually, he's got live music there, I would say, three times a week, sometimes more, sometimes less, but definitely a lot of live music. And interestingly enough, even though this is way out in the – uh, in the outer, outskirts of Tokyo, um, he has a lot of foreign musicians come in. You remember we had a great chat about Candy in Chiba. A yeah. Beautiful, beautiful Candy run by Hayashi-san, much farther out east. And she's hooked up to, to all this sort of Scandinavian uh, free jazz groups who come to Japan and they play out there. Um, well, uh, at Birdland it's not quite so much free jazz, but he's got a lot of foreign musicians who pop in uh, playing in either their own groups or in a mixed group with Japanese musicians. And it was really, really interesting because it's the last thing you would think when you look at the exterior. I mean, absolutely gorgeous entrance to Birdland, though, don't you think? I don't think there's another jazz cafe that has such a nice awning like that um, and entryway with all the trees and, and the bushes.
0: And doesn't it have like a – I think it was like a couple of tables outside, isn't there, just as you come up in that front door? Yes. I think there's a little sort of almost like a veranda section where you could sit out as well, which I think, again, is not – which I think, again, is not something that we necessarily would associate with a, with a Jazz Kisa. It's generally indoors and, you know, fairly dark and, and atmospheric. And so, yeah, I, I don't think we sat out there, but
1: um, well, no, that, That's the thing. Yeah, it has, it has a very sort of tea salon kind of feel to it, I mm, thought. And, a, um, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the sort of wooden interior. Um, and uh, this is just amazing. I mean, it's the only place we've ever been that's had Guinness on tap. Um, which uh, immediately I had to order one. But he also had, you know, Vedette, you know, the Belgian um, sort of white wheat ale. Yeah, it's like a blue and white white sign on the tap, he had that as well. And I, I was just like, wow, that's, that's fantastic, you know? So he's got great beer on tap. Um, he's got live music. Morikawa-san, he was really friendly. Do you remember? Because he was about to close when we got there. Um, that's right. So it's a very strict sort of delineation between cafe and bar time. I think it was like 5 that's o'clock That's
0: right, yeah. It was thing. the sort of the, the, the limbo land between the two, right?
1: But he let us stay, and he talked to us mm. for pretty much the whole hour um, yeah, while yeah. he was getting ready. And um, you know he's got a, a lot of records in there. He actually lives um, upstairs, and unfortunately, the last time I went by, I think his health was a little poor. He's not that yeah. old from the picture, though. I didn't. No, I didn't, he doesn't look it. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe he was just feeling a little under the weather that day. But you can see from the portrait that you got there where he's got his <laughs> he's got his glasses low on his nose. I mean, he was just a real sweetheart. He talked to us for pretty much ninety minutes. Um, of course he knew all the other Kisatan that we had been, you know, visiting and and he was well connected to places around town. Um, but Birdland has got a really you know, oh one other thing, of course you got a great picture of it, the matchbooks.
0: Yeah, I was looking at those. I mean, again, it's 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 super nerdy territory, but I suppose if you're listening to this podcast, you're already part of that cr- crowd, so, you know, uh, why not just uh, lean into it? But, I mean, I think looking at some of those, I mean, we've talked about a fair few of those. The first thing, of course, that draws my eye with the matchbooks is top right-hand corner is Pithecanthropus Erectus, which, again, <laughs> if you're a fan of the podcast, you'll know was where it all began. Um, uh, there's a place on there that we're going to be talking about in a moment. Of course, Stick as well, uh, which uh, we, we we talked about before and sadly closed. Um, and then down at the bottom there, Yamagata Again, fabulous. I mean, look at the design on the one at the bottom, which is Eagle, that, oh. uh, piano player. I mean, you couldn't... I, I defy anyone to try and design that now. I mean, it's just so much... Of its time and of the era, yeah. you've obviously got Chigusa, which we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Charmont as well, which is definitely one of our favourites, I know. It's just, I mean, a gorgeous, gorgeous thing to have. I mean, imagine having those matchbooks. I, I know we've got a, a few of them from our travels, mm-hmm. but uh, like you said, they're not necessarily with the sort of... Uh, perhaps the, the, the kind of heyday of jazz cafes waning and, and also then people smoking less and less, I suppose. Mm. They're not making them anymore. And I have been in places where they've almost apologized for either not having matches or not having business cards because I guess there just isn't the need to have them or print them mm. anymore. And, and it's kind of a shame because we've seen this in a few places, but they're just, for anyone who's a design fan, I mean, they're just breathtaking, some of the designs. They're beautiful
1: uh this is this is getting well down a rabbit hole of um jazz kisa dorkiness, but as you mentioned, we're on to episode twenty eight so if you're with us this far, you're probably gonna <laughs> continue on <laughs> um yep. but but the one that yeah, you mentioned of course, Pit the erectus uh Chokuritsu engine in Japanese it has got that nice sort of red kanji in the middle, but the one that struck me was the place that I don't know and it's it's second from right at the bottom is it is it three hundred b yeah. Looks now that's like I, that, I, doesn't it? I, we've heard of pretty much every other place uh, of all the matchbooks here, in one way or another, either from people or from books or from seeing other matchbook collections um, online or in the jazz magazines. Um, so most of these names are familiar to me, one way or another. But this one, I, I it, this one really um, left me feeling mystified because uh, 300B, if that's what the font says, and then w- <laughs> there's a, that piece of white tape where the phone number must have changed, um, which was just sort of stuck on there and and left and then included into this, into this picture frame. So um, I, I did a little research. I've not been able to find anything yet. So again, we do know that some of the listeners, uh, some of you listeners out there are like us and have been to japan or are in japan and have been around to a lot of jazz kisaten and love it like we do if anybody has information on this 300b please let us know um as soon as we finish recording i'm going to put out the the jazz alarm call in japanese as well so uh, may, maybe we can get some feedback that way but i'm really intrigued about that one
0: i'm just looking at there's a 986 there I was just looking um, for you know the, the calling codes um that's probably the best place to start i've got one there for kagoshima um so it might be kagoshima or miyazaki are coming up as hmm. like 986 so it might be somewhere down there i don't recognize that place on the right either uh in shibuya this one that with the person dancing on a keyboard holding a coffee
1: what is it called jazz uh i can't
0: even read the it digital
1: jazz digital do you digital. tell i can't i can't read that very well actually um mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again. But I've seen
1: I've seen this before because of the guy dancing on the piano. I remember that. And yeah, can find I mean the design, it's just look at these are little matchbooks and design. It's just perfect. But yeah, no, I've seen this guy before, definitely. Um and also Roku, the jazz and coffee sixty nine, I've seen that yeah. as well. Um a bunch of different places. So um, but yeah, you know, what a collection! I mean, um, I'm gonna have to go back and ask him about that. Although I, th- I have a feeling that somebody gave this to him. I don't think these are his.
0: Yeah, possibly. We've seen it a few places, but um, I mean, again, it always makes me wonder. In addition to things like record collections, you know, what will happen to these things? I mean, they're just. Certainly, as far as we're concerned, completely priceless. Um, you know, beautiful, beautiful things to have. And well, he has a lot pla- of
1: things like that in, in all around the uh, all yeah. around the place, right?
0: I mean, it's just the, the the stuff on the walls. I mean, when you look at the photograph of the speakers there uh, or the speaker, I think you know, for me, again that shelf immediately says to me, butsudan. So, you know, that's Mm. one of these shelves that a lot of Japanese houses have for like a little sort of household shrine. And again, you know, uh, we see the speaker on there with various sort of music memorabilia rather than anything um, overtly religious. And then you've got these, you know, matchbox cars, um, Mm. uh, obviously jazz musicians uh, and just, all sorts of stuff all over the place I mean it's Mm. just a fascinating place and I think as well for me you know what really stands out you're talking about musicians coming there and playing and again look at the sign Birdland where the beer sign Edelpild's Birdland and and Mm. look how close the house opposite is so you know again you're opening your window on the ground floor and you know you're potentially going to be deafened by um, a jazz gig happening you know within like literally a stone's throw from from your front window and i suppose it depends on your your take on jazz and what type of jazz it is how you'd feel about that but it yeah, just shows that that density yeah. of tokyo and how oh, especially, claustrophobic especially it is
1: in, especially in that part of tokyo because this is the this is the northeast part it's known as It was sort of a more, you know, working class area of old Edo. And um, yeah, the houses are so close together. Well, you can see in the background, that red sign is is a kind of a little uh, drinkery, a little izakaya. Uh, And there's other shops as well on this sort of back alley, interspersed with people's apartments. So... It's yeah. quite amazing how everything is just so jumbled and on top of each other. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if you lived in that apartment right across the way, you'd have a free gig pretty much three nights a week, which, again, I would never complain about that. But there's some people that might that might not dig it.
0: So to finish up this week for our third Tokyo Deep Cuts, I suppose uh, based on the name, we probably should have started with this one rather than finish. But um, the final place we're going to go this week is called Intro Uh, What do you remember about, uh, well, you'd been there, I know, a few times, but um, I'll tell you what I remember uh, is waiting about 45 minutes to get a drink. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, but you your photograph captured why we had to wait forty five minutes to get a drink. Um, well, okay, jazz spot intro, absolutely wonderful. One of my favorite places in Tokyo. Um, again, pretty near uh, Waseda University uh, at Takadanobaba Station. So I used to go there quite often. Um, it says coffee and jazz, uh, but they don't really open for coffee anymore. The joint opened in nineteen seventy five. Uh, by Moguchi-san, who is a real character, loves to talk. Um, he's not always there anymore. The manager uh, who runs the place, who I think, Philip, when you and I went, um, yes, that's right, because he's the guy playing saxophone in the picture, uh, is Inoue-san. And as you got in your picture there, um, you can see him playing the saxophone while somebody's sitting at the bar looking over there. So basically, at night, he runs the joint by himself, but he also plays in the jam sessions. So Intro is a place where they've got jam sessions four nights a week. You can kind of see a little bit in the background. You can see the, uh, the symbols from the drum kit, right? Um, and you see the piano in the background. So when you come in, if Magushi-san jamming with the band, you just got to wait until after he takes his solo, and then he runs back behind the bar and takes your order, and pours your drink. <laughs> make sure everybody who's sitting in the joint uh, has got their orders, you know, uh, filled, and then he'll run back, pick up his sax, and jump on him back with the band. Um, so it's quite functional, if not a little bit slow. Um, but, man, I used to have some great nights there because, you know, it was really, really interesting. There's not a lot of places... Jam sessions, and we've not talked too much about the live clubs here because we're focused on a different kind of jazz joint, but uh, generally uh, jam sessions in Japan are not like they are in, say, New York or in a lot of the rest of the world. They're, they've got their own sort of system. The musicians have to pay to join them, which is uh, very unpleasant for visiting musicians to Japan. Um, But intro is unique because it's basically in all levels. uh, It's open to all levels. So you've got 18 year old kids in the Waseda University Jazz Club coming in. And at one in the morning, you might have a really famous professional Japanese guitarist or bassist or sax player walk in that everybody knows. And there's a big ruckus. And they'll all just play together. So, you know, you might quibble about the quality of the music, but the vibe is just so warm and welcoming. Um, You know, the first time I popped in there, obviously, you know, I was a young foreign guy, didn't really speak the language so well. And everybody was just like, oh, hey, you like jazz? Okay, sit down. And immediately it kind of felt like home. Um, The last thing about it, and you must, I'm sure we talked about this, was do you remember the size of the piano? Okay, you've got a picture, a little bit of... Um, oh, yes, yes. That's it behind him, right? <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you, you, in the first picture, you can kind of see the door, right? Jazz mm-hmm. entertainment mm-hmm. intro with the sort of metal door that swings in. Mm. Well, that metal door literally opens only at that sort of 45-degree angle, okay? And it before it hits the bar. So for a long time, we were like, okay, they would have had to take the door down obviously but the steps that lead down to intro i mean it's down on i guess you would call it basement it's not quite the second level basement but one and a half underground it's absolutely impossible that they could have fit that piano down those steps and so we've always been trying to figure out how they did it it's a mystery i've asked a lot of japanese people about that as well asked musicians it's like how did they get this piano down here did they take it apart because it is virtually impossible that they could have lifted it down the steps
0: maybe it was Um, always there Maybe they just built the whole place around it.
1: Well, I mean... <laughs> they built the whole
0: building around the piano. Who knows? I mean, I wouldn't... <laughs> having been there, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it, it's funny because in so in some ways, I think, I suppose, it's quite un-Japanese. And I suppose um, Corner Pocket, it was a similar kind of experience. You know, it's not the high level of efficient service that you expect uh, in Japan. It was very much a lot freer uh, a lot more relaxed. And I suppose that, yeah, you know, yeah, shows sure. you the yeah. effect that the music has had on the way people think that are involved in this kind of scene. Because, like you say, we sat there at the bar, the music was great. Um, and then, you know, you kind of reached that point where you're like, do I just reach over the counter here and get myself something <laughs> and settle up later? Or is he going to be finished quite soon? Uh, and I think, I, I feel like it was an afternoon. I, I had this feeling that maybe it was after work that I'd come across to to meet you and i know certainly that that's obviously Takada, takadanobaba is a, a university area and i think a lot of university students will come in there won't they and and use that opportunity a lot of music students will come in use that opportunity to jam and practice and um what a fantastic oh, yeah, yeah, place that, to
1: do that. It. That, that, is, that is completely right. What well, we had gone to, I think, um, what we had gone with your your girlfriend at the time, now your wife, um, we had gone to Milestone, which is now sadly closed, which is also in Takatan Baba, um, where, <laughs> where some some miscommunication resulted at one point, uh, leading to a little bit of uh, unpleasant encounters with the owner there, but it was all settled out. I don't know if you remember that. Um Having to do with our delay in ordering. Do you remember what the, when that happened?
0: No. What was that?
1: Uh, okay. So so to to diverge just a tiny bit. So we were in Milestone, and I think we sat down, and we didn't order right away. And then Sarah went to the bathroom, and while she was there, like we kind of like didn't still didn't order. And then the owner came back and. He he knew me. He had remembered me, but he didn't know you. And you said something like, oh, you know, can't we just wait to order till she comes back? And he was just sort of like, um, uh, please, you know, like you need to order now. Like you can't sit down here or something. And it led to a little bit of a couple minutes of tension. Before we worked out uh, that it was all miscommunication. I can't believe you don't remember that because I'm you sure were getting, that I'm sure you were tension, getting quite salty.
0: I'm sure the tension was nothing to do with me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did forget was that Sarah was there. So I'm I'm kinda glad in a way now that she doesn't listen to this podcast because um clearly I for some reason when when you said my girlfriend there, I immediately chilled and thought God, I'm going to have to edit that out just in case Sarah ever does listen. But it was her, of course. (laughs) She just wasn't (laughs) my wife at the time. That's Um, right. So, yes, I do remember now. And we sat, the three of us sat along that bar. um, Mm. And I desperately was trying to get a photograph of that saxophone, which I eventually did. But um, it was an amazing place. Again, I would say that's one of those places I regret not having been back to since. Because um, it really is from the jazz and entertainment sign that greets you from the logo to the whole atmosphere. And just that experience of going in there and, you know, just taking in a jam session and then watching him run back to the bar to get a drink before he headed back to the band was definitely <laughs> I mean, something it's, unforgettable.
1: It, it's, it's definitely unique. And, and that brings us back to our logo dis- uh, discussion from Nutty because the intro website says, uh, Uh, In English, uh, smoking, drinking, never thinking. And, and what used to have a picture of a guy uh, smoking a cigarette. I think he's taking that down now because, as we mentioned before, times are changing and it'd yep. be quite oppressive down there if you've got like 20 people chaining. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I remember that's right because it was, you know, you, you me and Sarah sitting there at the bar. Um, definitely took a while to get the drink. And then, but yeah, the music came on and it was just a really mellowed out vibe. Um, I, I think intro is one of those places, you know, we were talking on, on the Kansai episode about Yamatoya, about how people mentioned it. Anytime you said, you were going for jazz in Osaka. Yeah. Um, intro is one of, I would say, one of the five or six places that when I started my own website, um, people uh, immediately mentioned. Because it has been around a long time. I mean, it's 45 years now. It opened in 75. Um, and and again, because uh, famous musicians do drop by there, um, Magushi-san, the owner, is sort of well known in the jazz community. He's mm-hmm. always at the big Tokyo jazz festivals. He's been in magazines. I think he's done a lot of you know liner notes and uh, sort of writing for the magazines. So, um, you know, people immediately mentioned it. Like, oh, yeah, you got to go there if you like the retro vibe and, and definitely lived up to it. And I love, absolutely love the sign picture that you captured there with um, on the left side, the red one, which is a kushiyaki, kind of like fried snacks, little uh, restaurant bar. Um, and then the uh, <laughs> the satsuma chicken on the right. <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, again, look at this, man. Like, it's the same building. And this is just all, those three joints are just in the basement. Yeah. You know, the entire building is full of places to eat and drink, which is just an only in Japan thing.
0: It's hopefully one of those places that will be more sustainable than than some of the others. Because I suppose if you've got that stream of, of young musicians coming there to practice, you know, then... With a bit of luck, maybe somebody will be inspired to take it over if the opportunity arises. Um,
1: well, I think Inoue-san, the sax player, is much younger than Magushi-san. magushi sans probably in his early 70s to mid-70s now, um, but inoue is much younger, so I think that he it's very likely he would take over ownership and, yeah. and keep it going.
0: Well, look, that was Tokyo Deep Cuts Part 3. Um, we've got probably a couple more of those in the tank. Uh, and then we're going to move on to um, the sort of Tokyo jazz, Tokyo jazz joints redux. I call it, but it was uh, seven days in June, uh, and we're going to take you through that journey uh, day by day that we that we uh, experienced. Two years ago now, um, has it been that long? And
1: um, uh, two years, yes, yes, that's right. Philip and I spending what was it, five days, uh, pretty much together, every minute without yeah. killing each other. So
0: I'm not quite ready a, to. I'm not ready to talk about it yet.
1: Quite impressive.
0: I'm still, still dealing with a few things, um, but listen. Um, If you, um, thanks everyone for listening. Obviously, uh, as always, we really do appreciate your support. Uh, We've got a couple of things in the pipeline. uh, One of which, of course, is uh, if you're a regular podcast listener, is Patreon. You may uh, be familiar with Patreon. It's a way of supporting podcasts. This is episode 28. um, And uh, obviously we do... We're doing this project and the podcast for the love of it and for our own sanity as well during lockdown. But um, we calculated once when we sat down um, on the back of a receipt uh, how much we'd probably spent uh, on this project. And we reckoned probably with um, mint peas, uh, birdseed, Guinness on tap, uh, petrol, train tickets, plane tickets and everything else that's gone with this project, including, of course, building and uh, sustaining the website and everything else. We reckon probably somewhere in the region of 10 grand uh, we've spent of our own money. Um, And we certainly did it uh, for the love of it. But if you would be interested in supporting the project, we'd love to hear from you. Um, And so... um, I'll post a link to our Patreon page on our social media. Any amount is a good amount. So if you'd like to contribute even the price of a cup of coffee or a cup of green tea to the project, we would be more than happy to receive it. Uh, And of course, that will help us uh, continue to pay for the running costs for the podcast, for the website, and to keep the project going as long as we possibly can. You probably also know uh, that somewhere in our future, we have a book uh, of the project planned. And we're currently talking through a few ideas about that as well. Perhaps the idea of a Kickstarter campaign. So if anyone has any connections with any publishers or indeed any experience with Kickstarter yourself and you want to hit us up and give us some advice or tips that we can follow, we'd be more than happy to hear from you. So uh, Tokyo Jazz Joint's At gmail.com, you can get us by email, uh, social media at Tokyo Jazz Joints, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, and then of course the portfolio site, which I'm sure you're all familiar with by now, tokyojazzjoints.com. So there's really no excuse to not get in touch.
1: Couple of quick things to promote uh, before we get out of here. Um, You may have uh, remembered last week I talked about the Village Vanguard in New York City. Um, I was in touch with the owner, Deborah Gordon, again. They are going to continue doing their live streaming, so please do head over to the Village Vanguard website. And check out some of the gigs that they're doing online Fridays and Saturday nights, East Coast Time in the United States. Um, Last week's episode, Philip, we discussed Our Man Swifty at Basie. Uh, The documentary is now out. I've not yet been to see it. There's a documentary made here in Japan about about Suga san and the wonderful Jazz Kista Basie. We discussed it a little bit. Uh, I've not seen it, but I did hear that it was very good. It was very enjoyable, if oddly edited. So you can imagine that the person who told me that was a very big film person. Um, and last but not least, um, we've talked many times about the BBE label, in England, releasing the J-Jazz collections. Um, If you really dig J-Jazz, head over to KOL Radio, that's the new online channel that I'm doing here in Japan with DJ Otsuka. We have a guest mix-up from last week from Pascal in France, who is a big Japanese jazz collector, um, all original vinyl, and he's put together a sort of an introduction to the classic period of Japanese jazz. Um, A couple tracks coincide with those BBE releases, but there's a lot more that it's not on there so if you're at all interested in japanese jazz please do check it out hopefully you haven't tuned out after that very long patreon soliloquy philip let's get out I'm, of here
0: i think you need a separate podcast just for your promotions <laughs> anyway if anyone does donate to patreon that can be one of the rewards they get a separate uh, podcast episode of you just promoting your own things honestly <laughs> it's unbelievable see you next
1: week it's called creativity. See you next week, bud.
0: Bye.